Good morning, everybody. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, and you want to follow along, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. Um, man, aren't these some great verses? I mean, you, these are unbelievable verses. There is so much here um, to, get, to get through. The title of our lesson today is The Perseverance of the Saints. The Perseverance of the Saints. I'm going to start with a letter. This is an actual letter. John MacArthur has a, a ministry called Grace to You. And this is a letter uh, several years ago, probably about 10 years ago now, that he received at his ministry. It said this, Dear Grace to You, Over many years I have been blessed to receive free tapes, CDs, and books from your ministry. Thank you. At those times I really appreciated them, but now I no longer believe in the God of the Bible or in Jesus Christ. Ten years of full-time ministry proved to me that there is no God and that the God of the Bible does not care. I now reject Christianity and have come to peace. What was at first a great loss has now turned to joy, peace, and freedom. I did not leave the faith because of some extreme sin. Please remove me from your mailing list. Save the money. Don't waste it on an apostate like me. I was just giving your CDs away, but now my conscience can no longer tolerate the further spread of a false hope and false disappointment. Sincerely, Steve. Now, he uses a word there called an apostate, and we, we've probably heard that word. An apostate is somebody who renounces their faith. We, we would say they have apostatized. They have turned their back on their religion. They've turned their back on their God. They've turned their back on their faith. So here's this man by the name of Steve, who after 10 years, did you notice full-time ministry? Do you see that? Ten years in the full-time ministry, walks away from Jesus Christ, renounces the faith, he apostatizes. So here's my question. Was Steve born again? At some point in the past, was he born again? Was he regenerated? Was he indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Was he saved and then he lost it? Or was he never really saved to begin with? That's my question. And, and what we're going to try to do this morning is I'm going to try to answer that question for you. Because, by the way, I don't know about you, but I've seen this hundreds of times in my life. Hundreds of times. People come in. Sometimes they stay for three days. Sometimes they stay for three weeks. Sometimes they stay for three years. But then one day you look up and they're gone. Were they saved? Were they really born again? Were they really regenerated and they walked away from it? Or were they just never really saved to begin with. We're going to talk about that today. Let's begin reading in verses 3 through 4, 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, last week, if you didn't get a chance to be here, you can go back and listen to the podcast, but we looked at this inheritance, this salvation that God has reserved for us. I mean, he's keeping it in heaven. We see, we get a little bit of it now, but there's, there's stuff coming that we can't even, our minds can't even fathom. And it says that that inheritance, that full salvation is waiting for us in heaven. But here's the thing. 
That's all great. We know he's not going to let anything happen to it. But how do we know we're going to make it? It's like an earthly inheritance, right? My, my dad could be a, a billionaire, and I, he set all this money aside. It's being guarded in Fort Knox. But what if I die? And I never get it, right? How do I know I'm going to make it to heaven? How do I know I'm going to continue to be a Christian? Is there anything that's going to keep me from falling away? Is there any guarantee at all that I'm going to be there? Or, or could I be like Steve? I mean, how do, if it happened to him, he was in 10 years of full-time ministry. Could it happen to, to me? Now, there is a doctrine in the Bible, or a doctrine that we uh, uh, basically state from the Bible, called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And it speaks to this question. And I'm going to read this doctrine, then we're going to look at Scripture and see if Scripture proves this doctrine. Now, here's the definition. All those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And only those who persevere unto the end have truly been born again. Now, notice that definition has two parts to it, and that's very important. We're going to look at both of those parts. Part one says that those who are truly born again, you've been truly regenerated, you've been made into a new creation, you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you will be kept by God's power until the end of your life and you will make it to heaven. But part two says this, persevering to the end, enduring to the end, is one of the evidences that you are truly born again. Because we don't want to give people false hope, as we'll see as we move through this, this lesson. So I want to look at both of these parts of this doctrine, and let's see if the Scripture backs them up. The first part says this, to repeat, all those who are truly born again will endure or persevere or make it to the end. Now, there are a lot of Scriptures that teach this. I'm going to give you a few. The first one is in, out of John 6, 38-40. These are the words of Jesus himself. He says this, For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now Jesus is very clear. This is the will of the Father, that all those that he gives me all those who believe, I lose how many? None. Zero. None. All who believe will be raised on the last day. This is John chapter 10, 27 to 29. Once again, the words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. Now, I remember years ago reading this, and I thought, well, sure, nobody else can, but you can walk out of his hand yourself. Y'all remember, anybody ever had that thought? I mean, that's the way I thought. Well, I, I can do it myself. You don't understand. He says two things. First of all, he says you'll never perish. So he eliminates that possibility. And by the way, notice, notice his reasoning. My father is greater than all, including you. He's greater than you. 
He's not going to let it happen. That's what it says. He's not. There's no possibility. God is not going to let that happen. He's greater than all. Not just everybody but you. He's greater than all. John 5, 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. There's no possibility. If you believe, you will not come into judgment. There's never any possibilities in any of these statements that the one who doesn't believe doesn't make it till the end. Let's jump into the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Now listen to this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, notice the time when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, and you believed. Right then, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you are given the whole, and by the way, the scripture says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to him. If you are regenerated, if you are saved, if you are born again, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that is a seal, that is a guarantee that you will acquire your inheritance. That's a guarantee. Let me tell you, I can guarantee something, but maybe I do it or not. But let me tell you, when God guarantees something, it's a guarantee. It's going to happen. Let's look at one more here, I think. Let me do my thing here. Man, I am so sorry, y'all. I am having problems again. I've never had this happen, have I? All right, let's try this again. Okay, by the way, let's go back to that one. The word guarantee. The Greek word there for guarantee is Erebon. That is a, a legal and commercial term in the, in the Greek, and it means a down payment which obligates the contracting party to make further payments. So God is obligating himself. He's committing himself to give you all the further blessings of eternal life. The Holy Spirit is his guarantee. By the way, God's own... Don't miss this. It's his own faithfulness that is pledged to make it happen. If we don't believe that, then we're, we're saying God's not faithful. Are you with me? It's his own faithfulness that he's putting at, he's staking this guarantee on himself. Not on you, it's on him to bring it to pass. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.30 said this, And those whom he predestined, he called. The ones he called, he justified. The ones he justified, he'll glorify. There's no interruption in there. If you were predestined before the foundation of the world, you will be brought to glory. There's there's no break in there at all. We're never given any, even even a hint that this will not happen. Now here's the thing, and this is what I find so interesting. How does he actually do this? How does he do it? Not... It's easy for us to say things. But how does God actually effectively bring it to pass? Well, our passage today in 1 Peter tells us. Look at verses 5 through 9. It says this, "...who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is just amazing. How does God guard you? How does he guard you? He says he guards you through your faith. He doesn't guard us apart. He doesn't put a a force field around us and say, devil, you can't ever get in there. That's not the way it works. He guards you through your faith. He guards us by working through our faith. In other other words, he enables us to continue to believe. He's doing that. Your faith... See, we we look at our faith and we think, man, I, I keep believing. Yeah, you keep believing, but there's something inside of you that's enabling you to keep believing, that's empowering you to keep uh, believing. Now, I want to give you two very practical ways that he does this. Two, he, he wants to keep your faith going, right? Think of your faith as like a battery or an engine. And he wants to keep it going day after day after day. Well, how does he do this? Well, the first one is this, Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What you are doing this morning, right now, is exactly how God keeps you, keeps, keeps you going, keeps guarding you. You show up here on a Sunday morning when you could easily be sitting at home and drinking an extra coffee and you're listening to the Word of God. And that Word of God is going in you and it's building your faith. And you come back next week and you come back next week and you come back next week and, the, and you just look up and eight years have gone by, 12 years have gone by, 50 years have gone by and you're still standing. Listen, I, I passed a lot of houses. I passed a lot of boats this morning. A lot of people not here. If you're here, thank God for that. Thank God. God is using this to increase your faith. Here's the second way. James 1, 2, 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or tests of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance. How does God keep you enduring to the end? How does he keep you going? He keeps testing your faith. He tests it in little ways, big ways, middle size, all kind of ways. He's constantly testing your faith. And if it's gold, if it's real, if it's genuine, it comes through that test and it's stronger. It's more pure. It's more real than it was the day before. And that goes on week after week, month after month, year after year. So God is guarding us by his power through our faith to make sure we make it to the end. That's the first part of the doctrine. The second part says this, only those who persevere to the end have truly been born again. Okay, let me give you some scriptures. John 8, 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide. If you stay, if you live, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. He's saying if you don't, look at the opposite of that. If you don't stay in my word, if you don't stay in me, then you are never truly my disciples. You are a, you are a fair weather fan. You, were, you followed me for a while when you thought it could help you out, but it wasn't real. It wasn't real. 
But if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Matthew 10, 22, Jesus, we all know this one. You will be hated for all by my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end is the one that will be saved. You've got to endure to the end. You have to make it to the end. That's one of the evidences that you are truly born again. Colossians 1, 22 to 23. He says this, In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So here's again, who is the one that makes it to the end? Who's the one that's born again, that's truly a disciple? The one that continues in the faith, doesn't leave, doesn't walk away, doesn't apostatize. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, the writer says this, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if... Indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Listen, it, it's only natural. Do you notice, we don't talk like this very much anymore, do we? Do, do we ever get up very much and say, okay, you're saved if you make it to the end? We just tell people all the time, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. We don't put any kind of, uh, any kind of qualifier on it. But the writers of the New Testament do this all the time. Jesus did it all the time. And when you think about it, it's really natural. Think about I'm Paul and I'm writing a letter to a church at Philippi or Thessalonica or Colossae or, or, or Ephesus. And there's a, a group of people there and I have no idea who they are. I don't, some of them might be born again. Some of them might not be born again. There's probably people in that church who have walked down an aisle and prayed a prayer. They've been baptized in a, in, a, in a baptistry. They've walked down and joined the church. But the fact is, they were never truly born again. They were never regenerated. They were never indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So how do I avoid, when I speak to them, giving them false hope? How do I do that? I tell them the truth. You see, the, the writers of the New Testament know that people whose faith is not real will eventually fall away. It just happens all the time. You, you cannot sustain for all of your life something that's not real. You just can't do it. It's just too difficult to do. So they give them a warning. And what they keep telling them is you'll be saved if you make it to the end. You have to continue. You have to endure. You see, those who continue in the faith show that their faith is genuine and real. And those who don't continue show that their faith was not ever real to begin with. That's what the Bible teaches. Let me give you a, a quick warning here. Look, look at what he says. And I, I like the scripture, by the way. He says, take care, brothers and sisters. Who he, he, he's speaking to the church, isn't he? He, he's, he has to kind of assume, okay, brothers and sisters. And then he says this, take care lest in there in, be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He's saying, look inside of yourself. Make sure that it's real. That's the warning here. See, he, this is the warning. His intent is not to make the true believer worry about their faith. That's not his intent. And by the way, his intent is never to set up a prerequisite to get saved. We're saved by faith, not by works, right? So he's not saying you have to get, make it to the end to be saved in that sense. 
But what he's doing is he's writing in a way that serves a twofold purpose. To true believers, he is using scripture like this to encourage you, to admonish you, to spur you on, to keep believing, right? He's using it to increase your faith. You show up in Sunday school and some crazy teacher gets up there and says, you better make it to the end. And, 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 it, and by the way, doesn't the scripture say, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. I got to make it. I mean, there's something inside of us that he's trying to spur us on to make sure that we look at ourselves at, at, uh, uh, realistically. Are we really born again? But he's also talking to false believers. And he's using it as a warning. And what he's saying is make sure your faith is real. Make sure your faith is real because if it isn't, you won't make it. You won't make it to the end. 1 John 2.19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. That's what he's saying. They left the church. They apostatized. They turned away from the faith. Why? John says because they were never of us. They were never like us. They were not the same, um, the same nature as us. They were never believers. And so they left to prove that they were never of us. Here's these people in church, by the way. They've been there for a while. They've been there, you know, they've gone to the men's ministries. They've gone to women's ministries. They've ushered. Maybe they even taught Sunday school. But eventually, they turned around and they, they left. This brings us to a third point, by the way. Unbelievers can give external signs of conversion. It it is very hard in a church to know who's saved and who isn't. Have you ever noticed that? It's not the easiest thing to do just to look at someone from the outside and say, well, that person is saved. And by the way, Scripture teaches this in several places. That unbelievers can sometimes sound like us and act like us and, and look like us, at least for a little while. There's an excellent place in Scripture that shows this. This is Matthew 26. Y'all are very familiar with this. This is the Last Supper. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And it says this, When it was evening, he reclined at the table with, his tw- with the twelve. And he said as they were eating, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you will apostatize. Now watch what they happened. And they were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him, one after the other, is it me? Is it me? Now, think about that. This is what's so amazing. So convincing was Judas's conformity. He acted like them. He talked like them. He looked like them. Three years they walked with that man. And when Jesus pointed in the room and said, one of you would betray me, you would have thought they'd all said, that's Judas. I know it's him. But they didn't, did they? They said, is it me? They couldn't tell. The man had a devil. And they could not tell. Because on the outside, he conformed. He said, he acted, he looked the way that they did. They, they couldn't suspect him. But Jesus knew, by the way, didn't he? He said that, it says that he knew from the beginning, John 6, 64, he knew who would betray him. He knew 
who was real and who was what, but the disciples could not tell. It's not easy for us to tell either. Listen, how do we know sometimes? Because the true believers last till the end. False believers walk away. They apostatize at some point. There's other scriptures that teach that we'll have false believers. Galatians 2.4 says this, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. 2 Corinthians 11.26, Paul says, I'm in danger from robbers, danger from Gentiles, danger in the wilderness, danger from false brothers. People pretending, acting, saying the right thing, looking the right way, but they're not believers. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15 we know this one, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise then that his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. See, when you disguise yourself, you put on an act. You, you clothe yourself in the, you say the right things, you lift your hands, you say the right prayers, you throw in a, a, the Lord, the God, Jesus, you throw in the right words, you act the right way. But the fact is, you're a false believer. Inside, it's, there's no eternal life, there's no spirit, there's no regeneration, you've not been born again. But it's very difficult for us to tell. Matthew seven twenty two to 23, Jesus said, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Notice what Jesus said. He, ne- he doesn't say, I knew you for a while, but then you walked away from me. He said what? I never knew you. We never had a relationship. You were never born again. You were never indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You were a false believer. The signs looked good, but it was never, it was never real. We're also taught this in the parable of the sower, Mark four sixteen through 17 These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. It's not real. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing taking root down deep in themselves. They're false believers. Therefore, they endure what? For a while. Sometimes three days, sometimes three weeks, sometimes three years. Sometimes, like Steve, Ten years, but it was never real. Now, there is one scripture that I want to give to you this morning. This is a hard scripture, but I think it's only fair that we have to go over it. Now, I will say this. It should be noted that whether what I'm teaching you today, the perseverance of the saints, is a doctrine that is debated among evangelical Christians. Now, for me, the answer is clearly, can a, can a Christian lose their salvation? No, 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 no. Now, you may say, well, why do I believe that? Because I believe the preponderance of scriptures, the preponderance. I mean, there is a, a weight of scriptures that clearly teaches that those who are truly saved always endure to the end. By the way, faith wasn't mine to gain, and it ain't mine to lose. What's the scripture? We were, he caused us to be born again. God did that. He's guarding me by his power. God is doing that. He's guaranteeing it. See, all these scriptures just say God's taking care of it. It's not my work. It's not mine to, to lose. It's a work of God. By the way, that doesn't remove my obligation to believe. It actually enables it. 
I love Philippians 2, 13, 12 through 13. I'm going to preach on this one day. Work out your salvation for, with fear and trembling because. That word for means because. God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What enables you to work out your salvation is the very fact that God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Enabling you to believe and work out your own salvation. However, there is one passage that is a difficult one for me. Uh, at first glance, it seems to teach that a believer can lose their salvation. Let's, let's read it. This is Hebrews chapter 6. This is the only one that I know that seems to teach it. It says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the ages to come. It says it is impossible if you are one of those people and then you fall away. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Okay, Now, this is a picture of a person like Steve. They've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They have shared in the Holy Spirit in some way. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God. They, they have experienced the powers of the ages to come, and then they apostatize. They turn away from Jesus Christ. They walk away from the faith. Now, once again, who is the writer of Hebrews talking about? Is he talking about a person who was truly saved? and then fell away? Or is he talking about a person who maybe can experience things in church, can experience things of the Lord, but yet they're never really born again? By the way, do you understand both of those te teachings are shocking? That's shocking. It says if you're one of those people and you ever fall away, you cannot come back. It's over. You're done. You, you, you cannot re-crucify Christ. You would be putting him to an open shame. You're not coming back. Without weakening those verses, because the warning of that verse is terrifying, I believe the person being described there in Hebrews was never born again. Not a real Christian. Not truly regenerated. You see, I believe it's possible to have all those blessings, all those experiences, and never have been truly born again. Now, I'm going to give you four reasons why I, I believe that. Number one, Scripture cannot contradict itself. Scripture cannot contradict itself. You see, if those verses in Hebrews 6 are teaching that you can truly be born again and then lose it, then those other verses that we read earlier cannot be true. They can't be. Let me give an example. Remember what Jesus said. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. Jesus said, I'm not going to lose anything. That can't be true if Hebrews 6 is talking about a saved person. How about the same one we read from Paul? In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a what? Say it with me. Guarantee of our inheritance until we obtain possession of it. 
If Hebrews 6 is teaching that a truly saved person can fall away, that cannot be true. That was never a guarantee. See, Scripture cannot contradict itself. There's another reason I don't believe it's talking about a truly saved person. And that's because the writer of Hebrews immediately, after giving those verses, gives us an illustration of what he's talking about. And he gives us an analogy of two fields. Okay? This is what he says in verses 7 to 8. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. He gives us a picture, <coughs> excuse me, not of one field that one day is bringing forth corn and collard greens, and then the next year it's just barren. That's not the picture. The picture is of two separate fields. They both receive the rain. They both receive the sunshine. They both receive the blessing of God. One field brings forth fruit. One field brings forth crops. The other field brings forth nothing but thorns and, and thistles. It says that field is barren and should be cursed. You see, I think his point that he's making is this. There are people who sit in church Sunday after Sunday and they get the rain. They hear the worship. They, the, the, the word of God falls on them. They, they see the camaraderie. They see the fellowship among the saints. They see people encouraging one another and exhorting one another and admonishing one another. They see all this. They're right in the, in the middle of it. And, and they're being blessed by that in some degree. And it's even shaping them. They're wanting to be better people. Are you with me? They're getting all of this blessing. And then they turn their back on it and they walk away. You see, when they do that, the writer's saying they're like a field without vegetation. And they are coming into judgment. The rain they have drunk, the, the spirit they felt, the word they've heard, the power that they've experienced produce no life in them whatsoever. And I think that's what he's talking about. The third thing that makes me think he's not talking about a saved person is verse 9. After immediately saying all this, he says this, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. See, what the writer's saying here is those other things I was just talking about, apostasy and barrenness, that doesn't belong to salvation. But in your case, beloved, we're assured of better things. See, he knows those things don't belong to people who are truly saved. The last thing, and one more quick thing, later on in chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says this, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you understand when Jesus died for you and you put your faith in him and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the writer of Hebrews says you have been perfect. In, in the heavenlies, God sees you as perfect. He sees you as perfect. You have been perfected for all time through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How can that be true if you fall away? If you were born again and fell away, that, that just couldn't be true. Again, I, I think if you look at these and you think, man, a born-again person can really lose their salvation, there's just too many scriptures in the, in the Bible that, that contra, contradict that. And I, just, I don't think that that scripture means that. 
I don't think that it means that those who are truly saved can ever fall away. All right, I want to give you a few final thoughts to this. This is, maybe you find this interesting, maybe you don't, I don't know. But I want to give you a few final thoughts, and I want to make it very personal. You may ask me, um, I was born and raised up in Baptist church, and, and we always had a saying there, once saved, always saved. How many of you ever heard that in your life? Once saved, always saved. You may ask me this morning, Derek, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Well, it depends on what you mean by that. If you are asking me, do I believe that a person that was chosen before the foundation of the world, made alive by Jesus Christ, justified by Christ, sanctified by the Spirit, regenerated, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, do I believe that person can never lose their salvation? Absolutely. Yes, I believe that. That person is rock solid. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God is guarding them by his power to make sure that they make it. It's not about them. It's about him. Yeah, I believe in once saved, always saved. But if you're asking me, can a person walk down an aisle, pray a prayer, and walk out of here and go and just do anything they want to do and never grow in Christ, never grow in the faith, and somehow make it to heaven? No. Of course I don't, I don't believe that. You have to endure to the end. That's what the Bible says. See, this is the paradox. Think about this. A person who is truly saved, theoretically, could do nothing. You're not saved by works. You're saved by faith. So theoretically, you could just go sit on your couch and do nothing. But the fact is, the person who's truly saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they will do everything in their power to make it. We, we make our calling and election sure. We get to church. We get to Sunday school. We pick up our Bible. We listen to tapes. We listen to CDs. We, we want the Word of God because we want to make it. We don't have to do all that, but yet we want to do all that. We want to be diligent to heed the warnings. That's the paradox. So what do these verses mean for us? And I want you to listen to me very carefully. I taught this lesson eight years ago. I went back and pulled a lot of this out eight years ago. So I want to get a little bit personal. Let's just use my example. I'll use me. Let's say in the coming years, I was a saved when I was 11 years old. I'm 56. I've made it a long, long time. But let's say in the coming years, I fall away. I'm like Steve, and I, I write a letter to Henry and say, Henry, I really appreciate all you did, but I just... I don't believe anymore. I'm going to go do, go do something else. I'll tell you, if I, that happens to me, it's not because I have not tasted of the goodness of God. It's not because I haven't drunk His Word. It, it's not because I haven't experienced the power of the kingdom of God. I've done all those things. I've shared in the things of the Spirit. I, I've known He's made a difference in my life. All those things are true. I've experienced the rain year after year after year after year. So if I walk away, it's not because I haven't experienced all those things. But let's say in 2020, something happens. Let's say I begin to cool off spiritually. I begin to, to lose interest in church. And I, you don't, you know, first you see me and where's Derek been? Why, why ain't he teaching Sunday school anymore? And you, and you see, I, maybe I've started a new business and I get fascinated with money and I'm fishing and hunting and golfing and doing all those things more and, and more and I'm not in, in church. 
Let's say I buy into the lie that a new wife would be exhilarating. So I leave Kathy and I, get re, I, marry, uh, I marry a mistress. Let's decide my children, you know what? They're old enough. They can fend for themselves. The Church of Christ, this is a drag, man. This is, this is really holding me back. The, G, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's just a myth. That's not real. I've only got one life to live. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Let's say that's me. If this happens, then I want you to know that I've been deceived for 56 years. You know that. And I've been deceiving others. By the way, when I first wrote that line, I was 48. I was 48 when I wrote that line. Eight years later, I'm still here. Why? Because I'm a true believer. (laughs) Because I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And my faith just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And my love for the Word of God just grows and grows and grows. And I can't even... Those other things get less and less and less important. And this becomes more and more and more important. Because that's what God does. He's guarding me through his faith. I believe that, and I know that. But if I walk away, then I want you to know all this stuff that happened for 56 years, that was just something, it was a vestige that was just handed down from my parents. My faithfulness to my wife was just conformity to social pressure. My fatherhood was just an outworking of natural instincts. My teaching of this class for 13 years was just so that people would pat me on the back and say, wow, you're a great guy. It wasn't because there was anything inside of me that made it real. It was false. And by the way, my praying was the biggest delusion of all. Because I was praying to a God just to get things to consume upon my own lust. Not because I wanted Him to be glorified in my life. You see, this is an illustration of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying if a person like me who's experienced all of this rain, all of this goodness of God, all the spirit, everything that I've gotten. If you walk away, the writer of Hebrews says it's impossible for you to come back. You you can't do it. And by the way, that is absolutely terrifying. That's terrifying. That's a warning to me. See, listen, we have to take heed. We have, to every, we have to constantly, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And you have to do things. This, this idea of maturity in the faith that somebody just waves a magic wand over you and it happens, no. You have to be in classes like this. Kathy will tell you, when I'm going down the road, I'm, I've got, I'm listening to sermons. That word is constantly, constantly, constantly coming in my head. Why? Because I want to make it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I constantly listen to the Word of God. Do that. Take heed. Take this warning for real. Those that endure to the end will be saved. Now listen, this is in some ways a hard lesson. But I feel like repeating what the writer of Hebrews says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. In other words, I'm sure you won't apostatize. I'm sure you'll keep going. I'm sure that your faith is real. I'll close with 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. 
He will surely do it. Who's going to keep you blameless? Who's going to keep you enduring to the end? God will do it because he is faithful.